Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, going all the way down to verse 37. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, going down to verse 37. Now, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and what more, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have um, seen to scatter your sheep in these weeks, and we pray that this will not go on for much longer, but God, that we as a church would be able to be a church and to assemble once again. But until then, God, we thank you for the ability to to hear sermons and to worship together. We pray that you will hold us and hold us fast until the time when we are able to gather together and until the Ultimately, that time when all of your saints will join together and behold your, your glorious, beautiful face when we are enraptured with your pure love. Dear God, keep us until that time. Amen. Where we're going to be going this morning is that it's, it's common in our world to, to have compassion. And what does it really mean? Well, it can be just an emotion that we have. But what we see in our text here is that compassion, it compels us. Compassion compels us to serve and to love our neighbors. It's not just a feeling. And it's it's this compulsion that drives in us so that we're able to overcome our fears. So how do we see this? Well, in verses 25 through 29, you see questions about eternal life. Questions about eternal life. Then you see Jesus' response in verses 30 through 35. And he has 
what you would see is compassion in action. And then finally, in verses 36 through 37, you have this command to go and do likewise. So the main idea where we're going to be going is that compassion compels you to action. Compassion compels you to action, to love and to serve your neighbors. So what do we see that questions about eternal life? Undoubtedly, that's happening in our day. You see compassion in action, as we're going to be looking at this, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And then finally, what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to go and do likewise. Verses 36 and 37. So again, let's go back to the text and read our first portion, verses 25 through 29. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, when he said, well, what is written in the law? You can read it. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered this correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Now, as, as many of you know, our home is overflowing with children. And because of that, it's been overflowing with questions. Hundreds of questions for the last five, six, seven years have been, answered, been asked, but not as many have been answered. But it's why, why, why. It's like this, this constant drip out of a leaky faucet, just dripping. Why questions are being dropped all throughout. And you can tell the difference, even in little children, you can tell the difference between this genuine inquirer, someone who's trying to learn more, and the, the, the gotcha questions in which they're looking just to, to get you. you. You see the gotcha questions in politics all the time. Any side of the aisle, whatever question's being asked, they're not really looking for information. They're just looking for the gotcha question. Which is, I was, uh, remembered this week this wonderful story about Martin Luther, who did not respond as Jesus did. Um, but he was, he was open air preaching and he was being heckled by someone who was asking him in the midst of his preaching, what was God doing before, before he created the world? And, and Luther with his, his sharp tongue and his witty mind, he, he stopped and he pointed at the man and he said, making hell for men like you who ask questions like that. And it's this same, it's this same motivation that here comes this lawyer to Jesus. Jesus had just, he just sent out the 70 that come back and, and he tells them that whoever, uh, whoever the father has the son reveal it to, they will have eternal life. And then the, the, and this lawyer comes and he asks him. And Luke puts it very clearly. He's putting him to the test. He's not a genuine inquirer. He's putting them to the test. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, well, what's written in the law? You have the Word of God. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer responds really well. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with your, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And so he takes the Shema to Deuteronomy 6, and then he couples it with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19. And he merges them together. Beautifully, this, this lawyer does, he answers it wonderfully. And so you, cause you, you, you know, if you love God, you will love your neighbor. If you cannot love your neighbor apart from truly loving God, they're separate things, yet they are inseparable. And this lawyer answers very well. And Jesus responds and he says, 
You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Admittedly, this is quite a bit different answer than I would have given. If someone would have asked us, one of the elders at the church, what must I do to be saved? We would have said, nothing. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Haven't you read Ephesians? You know, it's by grace through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one should boast. So what can you do? Well, you can do nothing. But no, Jesus, he responds wonderfully. He says, he knows the man's heart. He tells him, okay, there it is. Go ahead and do it. And this lawyer begins to feel the noose tighten around his neck. And he begins looking for a way out. Because he knows he can't do it, just like you can't do it, and I can't do it. So then he asks him this, this question, seeking to justify himself. He said, well, okay, okay, okay. Well, 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 then who is my neighbor? How can I, how can I get out of this? So don't be like the lawyer. Don't seek to just justify yourself. There's two ways of being justified, either through yourself or through Christ. This lawyer here, again, is looking for a loophole. But rather than seeking to be justified in yourself, oh, my friends, turn to Christ. In loving God, He's the only one that has done it. He's the only one who has truly loved God with all of His heart, with all of His soul, with all of His strength, and with all of His might. You see this in John 14. He says, I do as my Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Not only has He loved God in the way that we cannot, but He has loved His neighbor in ways that we cannot imagine as well. He says in John 15, He says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone should lay down his life for his friends. So friends, it is only through Christ that we are able to fulfill this law in all of its demands that it places on us. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. Sure, Christ says, go ahead and do it. But the point of saying that is to drive the man to come to the realization that he cannot do it and to bring him to Christ. So in, in this time, in this crisis, undoubtedly we, we are, are faced with these same questions about eternal life. What are we to be doing? And, and maybe you're watching because you're, you have questions now and you're not a believer, but you're inquiring in and of yourself and you have these questions. And frankly, you're in the right place. You're looking in the right place because the world around you is being turned upside down in this chaos. If evolution were true, you would be applauding this disease working its way through the world and speeding up this process of natural selection, if it were true. But you're repulsed at the idea of that. Because you innately know that you agree with the Bible. That your life has value, and the value of your life is also inherent in your neighbor as well. Because you are made in the image of of God. Your life is not just a, a matter of accidents in this clumping together of matter, but no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and crafted by a God who cares for you and loves you. 
So we're Christian. How are we to contemplate these matters in the midst of this, this social chaos that we're now seeing? Well, we bring to mind one of our favorite quotes from a, uh, a favorite pol- Chicago politician. We do not let this crisis go to waste. As God is sovereignly controlling every molecule around this whole world, He is opening up doors that have been closed for years and bringing questions to people's minds that have not been contemplated in perhaps generations. So, but friends, Christians, do not let this opportunity go to waste. So as the text moves on here, Jesus begins to answer this question. Who is my neighbor? And we see in this parable what it means to be a neighbor and what it means to truly have compassion. So we'll pick it up in verse 30 here. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance... A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. A little bit of backdrop of what's going on here. Uh, we have this road going from Jerusalem. It winds its way down to Jericho. Jerusalem's at about 2,500 feet. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. I think it's one of the lowest cities in the world. still is. And along this path, it's not plains on both sides, but it's these windswept hills. And the, in these windswept hills, as this road meanders through them from Jerusalem to Jericho, it provides this perfect backdrop for these robbers to come in to, to spy out their victims. They can stay up high, spy out of their victims, come out, pounce on them, strip them, beat them, and then depart. And it's, it's just a matter of 20 yards from these windswept hills to the road and then 20 yards back out, and then you disappear into the hills and you're gone. And it was rightfully called the trail of blood for many people who traveled. And it's still one of the main roads going into Jerusalem, even today, is from Jericho. And it would have been commonly taken from those gathering in Galilee. You follow the uh, the Jordan River down, you come to Jericho, and then you take this trail of blood up to Jerusalem. And so, uh, uh, on this backdrop, Christ begins. And, and Christ, is where he's at geographically, he's in Bethany. So it's right at the edge of where this road begins to go down. So it's, it's in everybody's mind, right, when Jesus is talking about it. And Jesus says, a man was going down. And, well, what kind of man? It, it doesn't matter. Was he, was he rich? Was he poor? Was he fat? Was he skinny? Well, it, it doesn't really matter. Was he a Jew? Was he a Gentile? Well, it doesn't really matter. And 
Quite frankly, it's done this way so that all of humanity can be placed into this one man. And this particular man, he's having a terrible day. Um, some robbers come down, they spot him out, they strip him, they beat him, and then they depart. And they leave him half dead, just laying there on the road. People are passing by, it's not a wide it's not like a freeway. It's, you know, maybe 15 feet wide. He's laying there. People walk by. Women and their children walk by. Stay safe. Men walk by. But there's hope. A priest. A priest comes. And he, he's coming down that same road. And, and it says... By chance, by chance, as, as if it were his desires and God's sovereign plan all wedded together right there in those two words. By chance. And this priest comes and he's, he's just, he's coming down the road. So he's leaving the temple and he's had his week of worshiping God and leading the people of God and making sacrifices and enjoying the goodness of God. And he's coming down. There's a sizable Jewish population in Jericho in the first century. And they're coming down, likely, to his residence and coming down that same road. And he sees him and he passes by on the other side. But hope is not lost. So likewise, a Levite... When he, when he comes to the place, and it seems as though Levi, he comes a little bit closer, he comes to the place, he sees him, and he too crosses over on the other side. He girds up his, his robe and runs away from service to the Lord. And he crosses over to where it's safe and where it's sterile and and I mean, how could you really blame the guys, right? I mean, they really they want to seem ceremonially clean, right? Maybe that's one of their motivations. We justify it in our own lives, right? Well, I can't jump into that mess. That guy's life is a mess. Am I going to jump into that? He's been addicted to drugs for 15 years. You think I'm going to jump into that mess? No, I'm not going to let him into my home. Maybe it was fear. We know that you can have the best of intentions, but it can be crippled when we have fear. Perhaps, or even worse, on this trail of blood, maybe it was so common that they had seen so many men who had been stripped and beaten and left half dead that they hearts, their hearts had just grown cold. Much like when you see the homeless man sleeping in the streets around town. And you see him. When you're younger and you see him and your heart breaks and then you're older and you've seen it and you've seen it and God forbid your heart becomes a little jaded and you no longer have this compassion that you once had in your youth. But there is hope, and it's not from the priest, and it's not from the Levite, it's from the Samaritan. 
Here comes this, this Samaritan in this absolute contrast from the priest and the Levite. The men who love God, lead people to love God, lead people to worship God. Here comes this Samaritan. And the, the Samaritans, they were looked down upon because they were half Jewish, half everything else. So when the northern ten tribes got carried off into Assyria, Bill, when the northern tribes got carried off into Assyria, and they brought in the other nations, they would intermingle amongst these nations. And so they, they, they had not remained pure. And so they were looked down upon by the Jewish people who came back from Babylon and then resettled in, in Judea. But the Samaritan, the most unlikely of characters, comes down and has compassion. And it's a compassion not just of his feelings, so undoubtedly this Levite comes and he would have seen him. He would have been moved with something. But it wasn't compassion, but this, this Samaritan comes and he has compassion, and it's a compassion that is moved towards action. So what does he do? Well, he overcomes his fear first, and he places himself into a situation where someone had just been beaten and stripped naked and left half dead. And he places himself in that situation. Who knows? It could have been a setup. It could have been a trap. He didn't know. But he entered into the brokenness that was there before him. He comes and he binds up his man's wounds. He pouring on oil and wine. He places him on his own donkey. And, he, and then he takes care of him throughout the whole night. He stays with him. Nurses him. Helps him get better. And then he gives of his own money. He gives two denarii, two days wage to the innkeeper and says, no, you take care of him. Anything else, more that you spend than this, I will, I will repay you when I return. So this Samaritan comes along and says, what does he do? He overcomes his fear. He enters into this situation. He endangers himself. And he gives of his time and he gives of his money the very things we love to idolatize in our own lives. And you see this throughout all of Scripture. The, the Samaritans is a, is a good window into all of Scripture. So you see that compassion is always coupled with action. They're, they're not separated. So in the Song of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, God will have compassion for His people by vindicating them and by delivering them. He has had compassion by delivering them out of Egypt. You see the same word used when Jesus... In Matthew 14, he goes ashore and he sees great, he, he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them and then he heals them. Conversely, later in the next chapter, in chapter 15 in Matthew, he has this crowd that are following him for three days and they haven't eaten, but they're intrigued by the sayings of Jesus and how beautiful he is and how he's full of compassion and love. And they can't help, but they, they drop everything and they follow him for three days. And he has compassion on them. And what does he do? He feeds them as well. Earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 7, there's a, a widow who's not obviously lost her husband and now she has one son and her son has passed away. And in this funeral, Jesus comes and he has compassion on the woman. And he acts. He just doesn't watch the funeral go by. No, he interrupts the funeral, raises the boy. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. That is compassion. 
So let me, let me reframe this whole story for you to see that, truth be told, it's not just a man who is lying there on the road, stripped, beaten, and left half dead. That is the spiritual state of all of us, of me, of you. That is where we are. And we are dead in our sins. We're unable to act. We are dead in our sins. And we need someone to come and to act on behalf of us. We need someone to come and to lift us up. And here comes Christ, who, like the Samaritan, He enters into this situation. He doesn't watch from the throne room of God. No, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And He cares for our burdens. He carries them. Just as the the Samaritan picks this man up and places him on his animal and, and carries him along. Christ has carried us as well. He carries our burdens. You see in Hebrews 9, He has been offered once to bear or to carry the sins of many. And as says, the Samaritan comes along and he spends all night with this man. He was going somewhere, by the way, right? He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He had somewhere to go. He's a businessman. He's busy. He can throw money around. He has an animal. He's not just walking like everybody else. He undoubtedly has something to do, probably more to do than the priest and the Levite. But he pushes it on pause. He holds on to that. And he heals them. Which is Christ coming and He heals us. We see in First John that He will purify us from all unrighteousness. And it was at the expense of this man, that, of this Samaritan, that this man is healed. So just as not only Christ heals us, but He heals us at His own expense. You see in First Peter, He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Not only that, the Samaritan says, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So too do we have a Christ who will come back. And He will come and repay us, each one of us, according to our own actions. So friends, I, I, I plead with you. Find yourself in Christ. In the midst of all this chaos, don't just try to heal up your own wounds and bind yourself up, but let Christ be your righteousness. Let Him and His wounds, by His wounds you might and you must and you can only be healed, my friends. So come and turn to Christ. So we we see that with this parable, what it's driving us to is to see that compassion lives itself out into action. But in doing so, when you do this, you are doing far more than just being a good Samaritan who takes up this unfortunate fellow, puts him on an animal, spends the night with him, healing his wounds, and then hands him off to an innkeeper. You are doing far more than that. When you have this compassion and it's living itself out in love with your neighbors, 
you are living out the life of Christ. That is what's before us in this parable here. You're living out the life of Christ amongst your neighbors that have been spiritually stripped and beaten and left half dead. So then what do we do with this? Well, look at verses 36 and 37. How shall we respond? Well, thankfully, Christ tells us, uh, beginning in verse 36, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, obviously, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the first thing to notice here is you notice how the concept of being a neighbor has changed throughout the parable. The lawyer is saying, who is my neighbor? That is, who's going to be the recipient of my actions? By the end of the parable, Jesus is saying, now, who was the neighbor? So the neighbor is no longer the one who's a recipient of my actions, but now the true neighbor is the one who is going and doing, loving and serving. Everything is being changed in this one parable. And then you notice, he, it's so unlikely that it's a Samaritan. He can't even bring himself to say, Samaritan. No, no, he says, he says oh, the, the one who showed him mercy. Can't even get the words out of his own mouth. And then comes the, the hook of Christ. Now you go and do likewise. So friends, in this season, amongst these couple weeks, maybe perhaps these couple months, God has sovereignly given us this opportunity in which we are able to go and to do likewise. To have compassion and to serve our neighbors. So how do we do it? Quickly. Number one, you overcome your fears. Number one, overcome your fears. Your best of intentions and your, the most genuine of your feelings will become neutralized if you can't get over your fear. We see this with the Samaritan. He overcomes his fear and enters into the situation. And, and overcome your fear in the sense that everything around you is predicting the absolute worst, but in reality, they have no idea how bad it truly is. They are correct. Everyone is going to die. But the disease is far worse than they could ever imagine. But the cure that we have in Christ, this balm of Christ, this blood of Christ, is the ultimate cure for the worst disease, which is our sin. So do not let your fear cripple you. But know that we have the ultimate cure in Christ, in Christ alone. So number one, overcome your fears. Number two, continue doing what you are doing. It has been a delight. Uh, just this past week for over our elder meeting, we talked for probably over an hour about the amazing things that you guys, Redemption City Church, are doing to love and to serve one another. Working long hours in the healthcare. To serve people and to love on people whom you don't even know. Just this week, there was a nurse who was asked why that they, why are they able to remain so joyful and happy in the midst of all of this chaos that's going on around us? How are they able to remain joyful and happy? And he, from there, 
they share the gospel with him, this patient. And in turn, this patient asked them, can you pray for me that I would have the same joy in the midst of this chaos that you have as well? And they prayed together. Others of you are going around and doing simple things like shopping, doing grocery shopping, caring for the people within the church. And it's, it's amazing. You can't, you never know until the situation comes, but it's been delightful to see how the natural reaction of our church has been to love and to serve one another. It's been a delight to do. So I encourage you, continue doing what you are doing. Okay. So overcome your fears. Continue what you're doing. Number three, walk your block. Walk your block. It says in verse 31, now by chance, just by chance, this priest happens to be coming down my road. Well, you could say, but just by chance, you happen to live where you live. Now your street might not go down to Jericho, or might not go up to Jerusalem, but you do have neighbors. Go knock on their doors. See how they're doing, especially the elderly around you. They might, we, we did this with our kids this week, and they might... Um, look at you like you're crazy, or you can sense the fear, and they don't, they try to talk to you through the door, uh, because they don't want to expose themselves to anything. But put yourself out there, and enter into the situation, and just have your eyes open for what is around you. Don't let your eyes become callous, as they would have on this blood of, this uh, trail of blood, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Your eyes become callous to what is around you. Open your eyes to what is there, around you, and walk your block. Okay. Overcome your fear. Keep doing what you're doing. Walk your block in terms of just trying to create situations to go and love your neighbors. And then finally, beloved, live out the life of Christ. You don't know what situation you're going to be placed into, but live out the life of Christ. And by having this compassion that compels us to love and to serve our neighbors... By overcoming our fears, you are showing them the love of Christ and the riches that they may have in Christ. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be a beacon of light in this city where You have placed us by chance at this time. God, we long to see Your kingdom come into this city of darkness and despair. God, I pray that You would give us hope. Let us overcome the fear that is in within our hearts, God, to let us enter into these situations knowing that we are living out the life that You have laid before us and that is the Spirit-filled life that replicates the life of your Son. I pray all this in your Son's beautiful name. Amen. Amen.